we're just making room. That's what we needed to do that. We are pinched with our children. We are pinched in here. And we just need to make room for people that we know will eventually fill these seats up. And we're super excited about that. Also really excited about introducing to you a new family, Andre and Alicia and Thea. Come on up here. You've seen pictures of them. You have seen a, a picture of them when we announced that by the grace of God and his blessing that Andre is going to be our new director of student ministries. And we are super excited about that. Yeah. And uh, I think the more you get to know him, you will see that we really are, are, are blessed. And you're, you're the parents of the children uh, and students that they love and, and that Andre is going to be leading. And um, we are in good hands, my friends. And it's a challenging time, right, in academia and everywhere else. It's a challenging time to raise and rear students, Right. I, I, having done that a long time ago, I remember the challenge, but it seems like it's gotten even harder. So we need to be in prayer for, for them. Uh, we need to thank God that he brought you guys here, and, and Thea especially. Thea, there you go. All right, very nice. Appreciate your participation there. But I want to pray for them, and then would you just encourage them as you see them, as you serve in student ministry, um, and, and any other way that God might prompt you to do that. But let me, let me pray for you guys, okay? Hold up here. Can I pray for you, Thea? Okay. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your provision. We're excited for 2024. And we thank you for bringing such a rich, wonderful family into the life of our family. We pray your blessing of wisdom and stature and strength for them. Lord, I pray for Andre that you would bless him with favor with the students, those that are here and those that are still yet to come. And we ask that you would do great and mighty things through them in the life of our church and beyond. And we pray these blessings in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well done. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. couple of things before we jump into our study and that is you'll notice that you have a QR code that's either it's on the seat back in front of you that's how we're going to be doing plugs and announcements these days we're trying to conserve the time that we need and what you can do is you can just scan that with your phone it'll pop up and a lot is going on so please make sure that you do that because we want you to stay informed we got a lot of neat things coming up for families for for all of us okay so please um, make sure that you stay in touch with that okay and then secondly as we were worshiping a moment ago, and I, I, I said this in the first service, I wish the band was still up here, because their practice and their skill and their gifting and their experience and their sharing that with us is a blessing to us. I think we would all say that. And so we enjoy that worship. But let's not forget that worship is also, it's a participatory thing, right? We don't just sit and watch them, right? We participate. Well, we also participate when we give back to God. That's part of worship, is that we're, we're trusting God what God has given us, we're saying, okay, we're going to give it back to you, Lord God, because it came from you. We want to honor you in doing that. And so what we do is for our offering, you can put them in the boxes in the back. You can do it online. But it's for those of you that call this place home. Okay, if you're visiting, please, we don't want you to leave here at all feeling like we're hitting on you that way, okay? As a matter of fact, we want you to leave with something in your heart. We believe it, you'll have something in your heart after today. And we have a gift for you on the way out, too, that you can grab at our kiosk. But let me pray and ask for God's blessing on our offering. God, we thank you for everything you've given us, most richly, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would give back in a way that reflects our understanding of the sacrifice you've made for us, and that you would use the offering to bring the hope, the truth, the life, and love of Jesus to people that need it. And we pray your blessing over that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. 
One last thing, and that is we're going to be uh, taking communion today. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you walk past these little cups, then this is a time for you to get up. If you want to go grab one in the back, there's tables in the back. We'll be taking that in just a little bit. We want to make sure that you know that they are there so that you're not, you can get up anytime you want, but so that you're ready when we jump into this. All right, we are studying, we're starting our, our study, if I can get in my, yeah, here we go. We're studying Thessalonians, and I think it's a timely book for 2024. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of questions around now when you watch the news, you read articles, like what's going on in the world? Is, and, and I've seen, you know, certainly the people that kind of prey on the, the, the fearful and they write these books about, it's happening, you know, the end of the world's coming. Well, we're going to be addressing in Thessalonians the, the coming of Christ. That's what the, the book is about. First Thessalonians in particular is about the coming of Christ. And they were concerned that they missed it, the second coming. But, so that's going to be kind of a theme that runs throughout. But this morning, as we start three services, as you see the seats that are empty next to you, we're making room for people. And we just got to realize how important that is. That's why we're here. That's why God has not called us home, is we have been given a mission, and that is to help other people come to the saving knowledge of Christ and what he's done and how much he loves them, the plan and purpose that God has for them. So thank you for the sacrifices that you're making and that we're all making in order for that to happen. And I trust that you will be inviting people and we'll be filling these seats up before too long. And maybe, who knows, someone in the first service said, let's go to a fourth service, to which my voice said, can we really do that? I'm not that, could, could, our, could our kids, well, if we have to, we will definitely do that. But I want to start with a question. And I want to ask you, do you think High Point Church is commendable, spiritually speaking? And I'm not, that's, that's kind of rhetorical, you can just, because I'm afraid what you might say, but um, <laughs> no, but do you think the church is commendable spiritually speaking now let me ask a second question do you think you are commendable spiritually speaking do I think that I'm commendable spiritually speaking and then lastly are you certain or how sure are you that you are a follower of Christ because I know people have questions they doubt they wonder at times and, and how how can I have more assurance how, how, do, how can I know that I really am a follower. Well, this first message and the letter that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, man, it, it really gets into that. And I thought this is, this is a perfect message to start 2024 because Paul commends them. And we're going to look at the ways that he commends them. And I want you to listen for how Paul commends them because I then want you to ask yourself, as I'm going to ask myself, would Paul commend me in that way? Would Paul commend us in that way. And I also think this is a great message if you're not a follower of Christ. Maybe you've rejected Christianity and you're here because you're just being a good person, a good spouse. Uh, maybe you're a, 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 a teenager and you're forced here, but you've rejected Christianity. And today's message is a perfect message for you. And I say that because most likely you have rejected Christianity because of your understanding of it. And there's probably a great misunderstanding of it. And more than likely, it's happened because of what you've seen around you. Maybe people you've interacted with, people who have said they were really Christians but did not act anything like that. And today, the way Paul's going to commend the Thessalonians, you'll get an idea of what really it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I believe if you really 
come to understand what it really means and what it really looks like, I, I can't imagine how you would reject that. I mean, I, I did for the longest, but that was because of what I saw. And then when I was around authentic, albeit imperfect, but authentic followers of Christ, and I, and I, I came to understand what Jesus really did and, and who he really was, I, I couldn't reject it any longer. And I hope and pray that's the case for you today. But to that end, I'm going to pray. Will you join me, please? Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this new year. Thank you for the opportunity that just naturally seems, and the potential that just naturally seems to be there as we turn the calendar. And I pray that you'll bless this day. I pray you'll speak through me. God, I have nothing to say, but you have everything to say. And may we come to understand how much you love us. May we come to understand what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And may we be honest and open with ourselves as we assess and take an inventory of that. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Let's do this. If you'll get your Bibles open to your table of contents, we're going to be in this, these two books for, for a while. In the New Testament, about halfway down is the book of 1 Thessalonians. That's where we're going to start. We're going to finish as we, as we go through 2 Thessalonians over the next several weeks. But whatever page that corresponds to in your Bible, you'll be at chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's get there. I'm there. I hope you're there. If your Bible app or you got your Bibles open. Let me explain to you. This is a city, Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, excuse me, is a city much like Seattle. Uh, it currently today, it's called Thessaloniki. It's the second largest city in Greece. So when you picture the Mediterranean, remember, there's, there's always the boot of Italy, right? Everyone knows where, where Italy is because it looks like a boot, right? Well, right next to it, to the east, is Greece. And there, Paul went and started a church. Acts chapter 17 actually accounts for Paul and, and, and records Paul going into Thessalonica. And he goes into the synagogue and he starts to debate the Jews over the merits of Christ. And as a result, people start coming to faith in Christ, Jews in particular, and Greeks do as well. And from there, he's got people. What does he do? He goes, well, we're going to start a church. And so he starts this church. It's a young church of new believers and this letter that he's writing, he's writing shortly after he started the church. And like I said, this is a town much like Seattle. It's on the Aegean Sea, right on the border of the Aegean Sea, which opens up into the broad Mediterranean. It's a strategic city in the Roman Empire. And Paul is there. And he started this church. And the letter that he's writing, it's about AD 49-50. Okay, so it's about 20 years after Christ's ministry. And he writes this letter, starting in verse 1, chapter 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Typical kind of beginning to, to letters that Paul would write. Now, I want you to listen for the things that he commends them for, okay? And then we'll kind of unpack them. Verse 2, we always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. That's a commendation, my friends. Paul is saying, I'm always thanking God for you. I am constantly remembering you. What a commendation that is. Wouldn't you love to hear that about yourself? Wouldn't you love to hear Paul say to you, albeit he'd have to kind of, you know, move up in, in the time-space continuum here, but just imagine someone as significant as Paul commending you in that way. I, I would love to hear that about me. And now he goes in and explains and begins to kind of list off why he's commending them in this way. And again, let's listen for that. Verse 3. 
He says, we recall in the presence of God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing your election, brothers loved by God. Okay, let me, um, election, that word, you heard that, and in your mind you went, you know, because that's, what does that mean? We've gone into what election means. In some of your translations, it might say God chooses, okay? Here's all I want to say about it so we can move on. God's election means God's love, and it means his first love, okay? It means that he loved you first before you loved him. There was nothing in you, there's nothing in me virtuous that draws us to the love of God. And he goes, oh, you love me? Okay. No, it is him pursuing us. And then secondly, to balance things out, is that God chooses those who want to be in relationship with him. There is never a situation where there's somebody that wants to be in a relationship with God and he says, sorry, no soup for you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to be in a relationship. That, that doesn't exist in the scripture. We have this tension here where God chooses, but he chooses those who want to be chosen. And those that don't want to be chosen don't want anything to do with God. And God is referring and he's calling them, you the elect. And, 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 and he, he says, I know that you're elect because he talks about their work of faith, their labor of love, and their endurance of hope. So just understand that. That's why he says, knowing your election, brothers loved by God. Verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you in a word only, or in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. So he's referring back to when Paul came and he shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, an event, something happened, Jesus happened. And the resurrection happened, that put Jesus on the map. That makes him dis, uh, uh, different than anybody else. He says, I remember when you received him. And it was not you doing it, but it was the Spirit of God, the power of God working in you. He goes, I remember that. And I commend you for that. Then he says, you know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit. And you became imitators of us as the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. He says, we didn't have to go and tell these people about you. They already knew. They were telling us about you. That's how powerful and how much of a change took place and why he is commending them. So I hope you kind of heard some aspects of it. Let's, let's, let me draw them out. The first, I, I think, commendable trait, if you will, if I can say it that way, that he draws out, is that they were demonstrating, in verse 3, they were demonstrating, empowered by the Holy Spirit, hope, love, and faith. It's the divine trifecta, all right? Paul talks about this in other places. But in their lives, they were demonstrating, as they were empowered by the Spirit of God, they were demonstrating faith. And, and the faith that they were showing, it says, it says work of faith, and what we have to understand about that is what he was saying is, you believed. We were there when you believed. We saw it. And now 
you're living your life in light of it. And it's giving evidence and testimony to what really happened really did happen. And I think we have to ask ourselves that. We have to ask ourselves, does my life, does my belief that I say I believe, does it, is it manifest itself in works, good works? And it's not, this is important that we understand. The good works that I'm speaking of, the good works that Paul is speaking of, it's not what the people felt were good, what they thought was good, and, and, and they did the good and they didn't do the bad. It wasn't what the culture said was good, and they did what the culture said and didn't do what the culture said. That's not it. It's the, the work that he speaks of, the, the work of faith, it is doing God's good and not doing what God calls evil, what God calls wrong. And that's a challenge in our culture because there are things today in our culture that are good, that are seen as good, that are seen as okay. But in God's economy, they're not. And it requires of us to step out on faith and to not fall into the stream. Let's talk about the culture today says that, you know what, if you have two consenting adults, and thankfully there's still kind of this faintly, if you have two consenting adults and they're not married, then sex outside of marriage is okay. But, Jesus, but God's word says, no, no, that's not okay. And so by faith we live in, and we don't, we don't cave into that. Our culture today says that, hey, divorce is okay if you've fallen out of love. Divorce is okay if you just have irreconcilable differences. It's okay. But no, God's word says, no, divorce is not okay unless there's a biblical reason, and that can tend to be very narrow. But yet our culture says it's okay, and yet God's word says it isn't. Our culture says, don't you impose your faith and beliefs on somebody. Don't, don't come and talk about them. That's showing intolerance. But God's word says, no, share your faith. God's word says, stand up when you see something's wrong. Speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. That, that's do that. But our culture says, who are you to do that? Let your truth be your truth and my truth be my truth. And so the, the, the point that I'm making is he's commending the Thessalonians because they are showing faith and they're acting on their faith and word is getting around. That's why we have... In our aiming to know Jesus and make him known, that's our vision statement. And the, the A in aim is activate faith. Faith is critical that we step out. Can I ask you in 2023, what did you do? And I have to ask the same of myself. What did I do that required faith? That if I, I stepped out and I'm like, kind of like, okay, God, if you don't show up, if you're not true to your promises, then I'm out here flapping in the wind. Did, did you do anything like that? Did I do anything like that? Because this is a faith that God has given us to unleash in us the potential that he's given us as followers of Jesus. Secondly, he talks about a labor of love. And I, I love the way he puts it. Because I'll be honest with you, for a long time, uh, I was pretty good at being friendly to people and kind and polite but that's not what's being called for here. I'm so thankful that Jesus in my life was far more than kind and polite and friendly. Jesus loved me. He sacrificially gave his life for me and for all. And, and that's what Paul's commending them for. He's, he's commending them for something that's messy. 
that, that, that costs you something. It's sacrificial. It's not easy. That, that's, that's what he's commending the Thessalonians for. They were loving in that way, the, love, the way they've been loved by Christ. And, and we have to ask ourselves, would that define, would that characterize, would that describe how I love people? Now, you might think to yourself, yes, okay, I, yes, I love people. I, I, I love um, I love my family. I, I love my friends. I, I would give up anything for them. But Jesus lobs in the haymaker. He says, love your enemies. My friends, that's hard. That's why this is spirit-empowered and not in our own strength and effort. And that's what the Thessalonians were doing. Now, it doesn't mean, this is hopefully encouraging to some of you, it doesn't mean that you have to like everyone. You don't have to have respect for everyone. You don't have to trust everyone. We need to wisely love people. But because every person, every person is created in the image of God. And for that reason, deserves respect. Deserves our love. But again, wisely done. Because in some cases, to love without understanding that is, is to love foolishly. It's to love and put yourself and others in harm's way. That's not what he's committing them for. He's committing them for the love that they had, realizing it was messy, it was, it was, it was challenging, and yet they were loving wisely in that way. You think about that, the I in our aim statement is impact the world. And, and when you love like that, when I love like that, if this church here was known that we love like that, my friends, that makes an impact, that makes a difference. And then thirdly, as we talk about what they were demonstrating, they were demonstrating a hope, living for the next world. And particularly that hope was in Christ. I like the way he says it in verse 10. Think about this. The Thessalonians were living their lives. They were going about on their day-to-day -day lives. And in verse 10 it says, and they were waiting for his son from heaven. We're talking about an eternal perspective. This, I think, might be the most challenging for all of us. I know it's challenging for me. God wants us to live our lives. Jesus has called us and we are following to live our lives in a way that we're living for the world that's to come, not for this world. But we're, we're bombarded with, with all kinds of messages and, and advertising and, and what our friends are doing and what they're posting on social media and, and the, the itches that, we're, that society is a great job of creating in us, the itch for comfort and the itch for possessions and all those kinds of things. It's so very hard to keep your eyes above the clouds to see that we... We're called, and, and the Thessalonians are being commended because they were living for the coming of Christ. They were not caught up in here. I was sharing with the staff uh, this past week a, a verse that I always circle back to. And I, I, don't, I don't intend to circle back to it, but, but the Spirit of God always makes me circle back to it. Uh, and it's a challenging word. And this is a, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is Paul's letter to Timothy, a pastor. And he says this in verse 3. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the recruiter. And that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy civilian life, that there are, there are wonderful blessings. The, the, the word that trips you up or trips me up is the word entangled. In other words, are your thoughts, are your affections... Does your time, does your money, do your relationships, do they speak of here? Do they entangle you with worldly thoughts, worldly pursuits? Or do they allow you to look to the world that's to come, to the, to the life that is to come when Christ returns, 
so that we're not tripped up and entangled by them. And Paul is commending the Thessalonians because they had a hope of what was to come and they were not entangled at all. And it says they were waiting for his son to return. May I ask you this? What are you waiting for? What am I waiting for? What are you waiting for to be happy? What are you waiting for to feel good about yourself? What are you waiting for so you can say this or say that? What are you waiting for? What am I waiting for? Because what's commendable is when we live our lives around waiting for Jesus to come back, knowing that that is what is in front of us. Now, I want to be real clear here. Paul in no way is commending them for trying harder in these areas. He's not saying, good job, you're working harder at being uh, faithful. You're working harder at loving people. You're working harder at having hope. That's not what he's doing. Notice, in, I've read it two different times. He speaks of the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So what we need to recognize is that the Holy Spirit's power is what is enabling them to be what Paul sees and understands and hears from others not in their own willpower, strength, and effort. And the only way I know for the Spirit of God to really come into your life and in my life, to empower us to do that, is as Jesus described it, it's my life verse. I've said it for the 23 years I've been doing this. John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me or he who remains in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My friends, when we're connected to Jesus continuously, regularly, the Spirit of God like comes up through the vine that is Christ and out to the branches, which is you and me, and we start to bear this fruit that is commendable, that Paul is commending them for. It is possible if we stay connected. So what is a commendable faith? What's a commendable spiritual health? It is when we demonstrate these things. Secondly, notice that he says here in verses 5 through 8, and I'll start in verse 6. He says, he, he commends them for being imitators of us and of the Lord. He says in verse 7, you became an example to all. And in verse 8, he says, for the Lord's message rang out from you. Secondly, that he's commended for is that their lives exemplified Jesus in public with words and actions. And both are crucial. You see, we're to be examples, albeit imperfect ones. But we're to be examples. They were examples and they were following Jesus. And this is what we all have to understand. And it's a struggle. I realize this. But Christianity, following Jesus, is a public sport. It's not something you can hide and I can hide. And just in our own personal lives, pray our prayers, read our Bible, come to church, sit on a chair, walk back out as soon as you can. That's not what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to follow him, then he unleashes us out. He says, go therefore into the world and make disciples of all nations. How do you make disciples? It requires words and action. You see, the, the gospel message, which he, he gives you kind of a little thumb line sketch of it in verse 10. He says, and wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Gospel means good news. And the Thessalonians were given this good news. And this news was of an event. And the event was Jesus. And he came and he lived a perfect life. And then he died a substitutionary death for you and me. And then God raised him three days later to say, this is the guy. And so what we do is we share what happened. An event happened. 
And then we bring explanation to it so people understand why that event is significant, which is just in and of itself, if, if someone really came back from the dead, that's pretty significant. But why does it matter to you and me? Because we need a Savior. And that requires words. But Paul says it wasn't just words. That, 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 that there was power in their actions. How they were living their lives was making a difference. I love how he says that the Lord's message rang out from them. Oh, God, how I wish it would ring out from me more than it does. They were not sheepish. They didn't back away from it. Why do we? Why, why are we afraid? Why are we not ringing out with what we know and what we've experienced? I would suggest it's because we're afraid of what people will think of us. I suggest that it's, it, we're afraid that we might get ostracized or pushed to the side or, or, or called a name. Or, or, or we might be unable to go to a certain place we want to go in our company. Or we might lose a friend. But, but Jesus warned us about that. Right, right? He said, before you can follow me, he goes, man, count the cost. He goes, no king goes to battle before he counts the number of enemy he's going to battle. He goes, no one builds a tower without knowing how much it's going to cost and what they need to build a tower. So he's saying, there is a cost. But the cost is so insignificant to what the reward is. So why are we sheepish? Why? Why do we cower and not talk about it? Paul's commending them because he says, man, the Lord's message, it rang out from you. Now, let me also say that the actions are so important. Um, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, he said, faith without works is dead, he said. It's dead. And so to those of you who wonder, am I really a follower of Christ? I, yeah, I've had doubts. I'm just not sure. My friends, if, if your life hasn't changed, if there's not these good works that are defined good by God and that you're avoiding bad, which is defined by God, if that is not happening in your life, then the Bible, James in particular, would say your faith is dead. You've, you've, not, you've not been born again. You, you, you're, you're not drawn to what God says is the way to live life. But, but if, if, if those are present in your life, then my friends, let that encourage you. But what I want you to notice, and this is maybe the most humbling aspect of it all, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy. Persecution. We don't know much of that in our, in our country. It, it seems like it could be growing in terms of, of what Christians believe and, and, and how we can be marginalized and, and how our, our, our culture is going but my friends, they did this while facing persecution. Why would they face persecution? Because as I've said before, the gospel is offensive. You know, we want to think of Jesus. Well, Jesus loves people. Why would people not want to hear about Jesus loving people? Because the gospel is offensive. Because what the gospel says and what offends people, it offends their pride. Because they're saying, you mean I'm so broken that I need a savior? That I need someone to come die for me? I'm that broken? And you mean to tell me that if, that if I submit to Christ, that I'm now a servant of Jesus? 
and my self-indulgence days are gone, and now I live for others? You're telling me that? No, Jesus didn't tell us that. He offered us that. Because the upside is immeasurable. And that is why this is so humbling, that the gospel is offensive. And we need to be mindful of that because we're using our words to share what the gospel is. Just be ready for that and don't cower away from that. So we talked about demonstrating uh, by the spirit-empowered hope and love and um, faith. And then secondly, we talked about exemplifying Jesus in public with our words and actions. What's the last thing? Look at verse number 10, or excuse me, verse 9. He says, what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He commends the Thessalonians because not only did they demonstrate some things, not only did they exemplify Jesus, but they turned from serving gods to serving the one true God. They turned from serving the gods of their own making, we all have them, to the one true God. You have a God and I have a God. You might have gods, I might have gods. There might be a pecking order for these gods, all right? But your God is the thing that you need more than anything else, that you turn to more than anything else. And it might be Yahweh. It might be Abba Father. It might be who came in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's all you need. But others, and at times we kind of can go in and out. At other times, it could be your looks. It could be your bank account. It could be your job. It could be your relationships. It could be your kids. And these are the things you have to have. They're that important. They're good things that we've turned into God things. And your, your happiness rests on them. It's, they're they're, they're con- inseparably connected to them. And so when they're threatened, you're threatened. That's how you know where an idol is in your life. That's how you know when you've taken something good and you've pushed it up here and made it a God. For me, that can be my health. There are times when I um, am, am, am get so anxious about, and as I get older, I'm realizing the curse still exists. And I'm, I'm, I'm having to deal with health issues you didn't have to deal with when I was younger. And I can get really worked up, and, I, and my day, my mood can be impacted because all of a sudden I've taken my health, which is a good thing, and I've whoop, put it right up here. If I can just be healthy... I'll be happy. I'll have a better mood. I'll be more enjoyable to be around. I, I, I don't know what it is for you. But we all have them. And we all serve them. And we serve them and we surrender them when we, when we give our thoughts and our time and our attention and our money and our affections. Like I said, just ask yourself, what is it that one thing that I have to have? If it's taken from me, then the meaning of life is gone. And I give up. And Paul is committing them because they've turned away from these things to the gods of their own making. And they've turned to the one true God to serve him and him only. So I hope you've, in listening, I hope you've had a chance to just kind of think about would, would God, would he commend me in these areas of my life? Um, what I'd like you to do kind of as a result of this for this week, first, would you assess the condition of your spiritual health? of the the areas we just talked about, be honest, just assess, just how am I doing here? How am I doing with, is my faith really, am I really stepping out on faith? 
Am I really loving people or am I just liking them? Am I being friendly to them? Am I being kind to them? Am I being polite to them? Or am I really sacrificially loving them? Am I living and waiting for Jesus' return and living in light of that? Or man, am I trying to get everything I can here right now? Because it's about here. Am I exemplifying in my life and in public with my words or with my actions that I'm a follower of Jesus? And am I turning, am I turning from those, those gods in my life that I've made gods in my life to the one true God? Just assess that. And then secondly, after that assessment, is to make, just make a plan for yourself and say, this is how I'm going to change. This is how I'm going to grow in that area for 2024. And then tell somebody. Share that plan so there's some accountability. That'll really help you. It'll really help me. Okay? Let me pray. God, thanks so much for your love for us. Thank you for your patience and your mercy and grace with us. And I pray your blessing of this time of teaching that we would take it home, that we would not just put it on the shelf in our head, but Lord God, it would work its way into our hearts and into our lives, into our words, into our thoughts, into our affections, and into our interactions. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I can't think of a better way to kind of start together, 2024, than communion. If you came in a little bit late, um, we have the communion cups are in the back. Please feel free to go back there and get one. I would encourage you for the moment, kind of start taking off that first layer, okay? And we'll go ahead and just take it off. And let's get the bread and kind of put it in our hands. Jesus commanded that we have communion, that we, we honor the Lord's table. He didn't tell us how often we need to do it, but he says, but when you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And he took the bread, and the bread was something that they could get their hands on. They could hold it. And he said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. You see, God, who is spirit, came down in human form, in, in body and spirit, in the person of Jesus. And Jesus was the one who was going to be crucified on the cross, who was crucified on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus did not want us to forget that it was a human body that takes away human sin. They would sacrifice animals, but man, now it took a human body to sacrifice human sin forever. So let's take this bread mindful that Jesus' body was broken for you and me. And now if you'll get to the juice in there. After the bread, Jesus the cup that had wine in it. And unless you're Jewish, to really feel the full weight of what he's about to say and how he's about to use the wine to symbolize his blood, it can be missed on us. You see, annually they would bring a perfect unblemished animal to be sacrificed on the altar for the year so that the blood from the animal would cover the sins of the family. And they would come back year after year after year doing that. But the writer of Hebrews tells us that animal blood could never, ever take away human sin. And that Jesus was the one time, once and for all, perfect sacrifice. And his blood was shed. So that we could be forgiven, not just annually, but for eternity. Let's take this juice, mindful that Jesus' blood was shed for you and for me, for the forgiveness of our sins forever. Father, thank you for the reminder that we desperately need. I desperately need it. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that is of inestimable value. I pray, Lord God, that we will continue to worship you now, mindful of what you've done for us.
and the truth that you've given us to be the people you want us to be in Christ's name. Amen.